Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. I hope you are having a very nice holiday season. This week, I want to talk about the new Frasier and uh, my thoughts on the new Frasier. A lot of people have asked me, and so I thought uh, this week I would share some of my thoughts, uh, some of the things that I feel uh, could be better, and, uh, and some of the reasons why. Now, I first want to say that when I heard that they were going to do a a reboot of Frasier, I was excited, like everybody else. And it's not like I was waiting for the phone to ring to have them call me to do it. It's like, that's okay. But as a viewer, I love the character, and I love sophisticated multicam comedy. And I remember the very last episode that my partner David Isaacs and I wrote for Frasier, the original Frasier, and this was maybe the second to third to the last episode of the original run. And I remember standing on the stage with David, and the audience was really enjoying it, and the episode was going very well. And I said to David, is this going to be the last time that you and I get a chance to write a sophisticated multi-camera show. After writing Frasier and Cheers and other shows, including ones that we created, for probably 25 to 30 years. And the answer, at least as of now, is yeah. So I was hoping that the new Frasier would basically spawn a renaissance and that viewers would go, hey, yeah, I miss this. There should be more shows like this. And the reaction has been, I'll be charitable and say mixed, but I would say in reality, uh, probably many fans of the original are disappointed. And people who aren't really that familiar with the original 
aren't really watching <laughs> the new show because they have no real relationship to it. So here's some of the points that I want to make. And I should also say that the mistakes that I think the creators made in this particular series are mistakes that I myself have made along the way. I think they have fallen into traps and I, I know it's not like I'm sitting at the top of the hill going, oh, well, this, you should have done this. You should have done that. I made the same mistakes. It's very difficult when you are doing a sequel not to fall into these mistakes, not to recognize some of the things that you need to do. So again, I, I come at this uh, having fallen on the grenade myself a few times. It's not that I'm such a genius or I'm so brilliant. Uh, it's just that uh, I've learned in many cases the hard way, especially when you are doing a show that is based on a beloved, iconic series. It is hard enough to do a good pilot. It is hard enough to create a new series, but to be compared to one of the greatest series in television history that's a very, very high bar, and it requires you to do some things that ordinarily wouldn't necessarily be necessary. <laughs> that makes sense? Anyway, let me go through this. First of all, let's break down the concept. When you are creating a show, especially around one lead character... Think of a wagon wheel and put your main character in the center. And then there are all of these spokes to the outer rim. And each one of those spokes represents a character in the series. But each one of those characters needs to somehow relate directly to that star. What does he or she provide? Is it the love interest? Is he an adversary? Is he his friend and confidant? Is he somebody who has been a thorn in his side his whole life? Is it somebody who is preventing him from achieving his goal? Is it somebody that he can use? Is it a relationship that has bothered him throughout his life that he is trying to resolve? Every one of those characters needs to have some very clear relationship to the character. Now look at the original series. And when you have the Martin character... Martin was a leveler, okay? 
when Frazier and Niles were being pompous as hell, you need somebody to stick a pin in the balloon. And that was Martin. He had that perspective. And Martin was Frazier's father and Niles' father. So there's a lot of family dynamics there. Roz, in a way, was also a leveler and the work in. She wouldn't take a lot of shit from Frazier. Niles was a confidant. And also you had a certain amount of sibling rivalry. And you can go through all of the characters and you can point out very specifically what they provided to Frasier. Now, I look at the new series and I'm going down the line with the characters. Okay, Freddie, his son, definitely. There is... A relationship there. We'll get into just what that relationship is. But also, there is the character of Alan, who is the professor at Harvard, who supposedly was Frazier's best friend, and yet he was never mentioned in nine seasons of Cheers and 11 seasons of Frasier. My best friend, and he was never referred to even once. So you're going, hmm, kind of what's the logic of that? Then you have the character of Eve, who is living with Freddie, and Eve's story is that her boyfriend was a firefighter. They had a child together. And the firefighter died. And so Freddie is letting her and her baby stay with him. Okay, great. What does that have to do with Frazier? Can you lose that character? Sure could. I don't know what that character is doing in relationship to Frazier. Then there is the character of Leva, who is the um, the dean at Harvard. She's desperate to get Frazier to teach at Harvard because he's now famous. They now established that for years in Chicago, he had been a Dr. Phil type of television star. And again, logic here, I'm going, this is Harvard. What do they give a shit? It's like, why would Harvard be so excited to have like a Dr. Oz on their faculty? Now, I can understand if, say, it was a very small college, some manufactured Middlebury University and to have a celebrity on their faculty would be a big deal. This is Harvard. And so I'm going, what is her function in the thing? Because after a while, Frazier's going to settle in and he's going to be teaching at Harvard. 
And then you're going, well, well, what's her role? And again, Frazier now, according to the new series, left television a super rich guy. You always look for things to throw in front of the character to make it harder for them to achieve their goals. And in this case, they go the other way and they make him insanely rich so he can pretty much buy his way out of anything. If he's having a problem with the dean, the dean doesn't like the way he's teaching classes and then he donates a million dollars to Harvard and they look the other way and, and he can teach voodoo for all they care. So you see in the pilot, uh, Frazier's solution for getting close to Freddie is to buy the entire apartment building. Wow. That's just write a check. Problem solved. Not great storytelling. So let's go back to Freddie. I wonder just what it is that makes this character, who is the central character in this particular series, what makes him interesting and funny? And so far in watching a number of the episodes, I don't see either. He's just a straight guy. I know people have been saying, wow, God, this actor's really dull. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. He doesn't have anything to do. He doesn't really have anything to play. So, yeah, what you're seeing is just a guy. It's just like very generic. But I don't know if that's him. I don't know how much of that is the writing. But they just kind of make him a nice guy Fireman, I don't see what makes this character so interesting, especially since he's the number two character in the whole series. Plus, it's, it's such a stretch to me when all through Cheers and all through Frasier that Freddie has been portrayed as this certain little Fauntleroy who goes to chess camp and, you know, is into opera and everything, is which is what you would expect being raised by Lilith and early on by Frazier. And now he's a firefighter. And he seems to basically ignore that other side of him. He's kind of the leveler now. And you're going, well, that doesn't feel very organic. I don't really buy the fact that this guy, like all of a sudden, he was at Harvard and he decided, nah, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be this guy. And so now he's a firefighter. Then I don't understand the logic that, He's estranged from Frazier, 
because Frazier was very hurt that he left Harvard to go be a firefighter. And I'm thinking, what? What is a more noble profession than being a firefighter? Why wouldn't Frazier be proud of him? I also think that characters have to be fresh. And you look at the Allen character, who is the professor, Frazier's best friend in the whole world, who he never mentioned. And he's a boozy Brit. And you're going, how many times have we seen that character? <laughs> there's nothing particularly fresh about that. Then there's the David character, who is supposedly the son of Niles and Daphne. And that guy is just playing a cartoon bungling version of Niles. You're going, well, that's just Niles 2.0, but not nearly as good or as real. Where are the fresh characters? When we first saw Niles, there was something very different and unique about him. I just don't see what's unique about any of these characters. I also wonder why they went back to Boston. Now, they said in an interview it's because Frazier wants to go back full circle, which I get. But you have a giant elephant in the room or in the city, which is Cheers. And Frazier, like, makes a couple of you know, offhanded comments about Cheers. But you're going, Cheers was so much a part of his life. How could he not be returning there? Did he hate it? Apparently not. And Sam is still there, and Norm is still there, and, and Cliff. Maybe Woody. I don't know. But that was a part of Frazier's life. And to completely just ignore it and put it off to the side seems weird to me. Now, if Frazier had moved to New York, if Frazier had moved to Atlanta... That's not an issue. You don't think about it. He moves on and here's a new group of people. But he's back in Boston and he's at a bar and it's a different bar with different people. I'm sorry, but that's, that's a problem for me. In the pilot, they set up a farce a farcical scene, which for many episodes of Frasier was a standard trope. Farces are very tricky. They're very hard to do. In the case of the original Frasier, we had a couple of writers who were masters at it. 
in Joe Keenan and David Lloyd. There are certain rules to a farce. And the new writers set up a farce but don't know those rules. And as a result, the whole farce scene was a mess. The farce scene is they're trying to hide from Frazier the fact that Eve and her baby are living with Freddie. And there's also a little mislead. Baby's name is John. And Freddie said, like, I don't want him to know about John. And so I guess there's a mislead there. Well, is Freddie gay? Is that what we're saying? Is that who John is, his gay lover? He doesn't want Frazier to know that. And then you're going, would Frazier really care if his son was gay? <laughs> Wouldn't Frazier still embrace him with open arms if, if he was gay? It's like, what's that all about? But here's the thing. When you have a farce, they're built on lies. People lie because the stakes are so high that you would resort to lying in order to preserve the lie. But you can't build a farce scene around sustaining a lie when the audience has no idea what the truth is. And in this case, they didn't. The audience is going, why are they hiding? What's happening here? The audience has to know going in just what the truth is and why it's so important that the person lie. Now, in this case, you go, well, wait a minute. So the information they were withholding from Frazier was not that Frazier has a grandson, was not that his son is married. It's that his son is graciously taking in a widow and a baby when a colleague firefighter died in the course of duty. Why are you keeping that from Frazier? Why is that a secret? Why are you going to such great lengths to hide that? It, it makes no difference. And to me, it is just a tell that the writers don't really understand the show. Okay, moving off of that into casting. Casting, as I've always maintained, is the most important decisions you'll ever have to make in a series because it's the only thing you can't fix. You can rewrite scripts. You can move characters in, move characters out. You can get a new apartment. You can do all kinds of things. But if you have the wrong people, you're dead. So casting is really 
crucial. And here, again, when you have any kind of pilot, it's very difficult to find that great cast, to establish great chemistry. But here you are being compared with an iconic show. Part of the appeal of Frasier was that cast and somebody so special in David Hyde Pierce. And I would also argue in John Mahoney. Perry Gilpin and Jane Leaves were no slouches either. It was a great cast. So if you are going to do the next Frasier, you are obligated to not just find good people, but you have got to discover one or two fantastic people. You've got to find the next David Hyde Pierce. You've got to find the next Robin Williams. It's crucial because that is part of what made Frazier so special. Now, I heard Kelsey at one time in an interview say, well, the secret sauce is Frazier. As long as the show has Frazier, then we're fine. Frazier's a wonderful character, great to write for. Kelsey is amazing. One of my favorite characters of all time to write for. But I submit that if you asked a hundred hardcore Frasier fans who their favorite character was on the series, I'm guessing Frasier would come in number two or three. Those other cast members were just that good. I don't see in this cast anyone breaking out. I don't see anyone where you go, wow, where did they find this guy? Wow. This woman is like, um, I've never seen a, a woman with this kind of comic timing and this is like, wow. Nope. None of the characters in this particular version, to me, stand out as being great. Kelsey is great. He's always great. But I think he just wipes the floor with everybody else. Another factor in terms of Frasier specifically is the art design. One of the things I believe that made Frasier so inviting was the look of the show. His apartment in Seattle is one of the, if not the most spectacular multi-camera sets of all time. It was designed by Roy Christopher, who deserves all the kudos in the world. You loved going to that apartment. You loved being in there. It was just sumptuous, gorgeous to look at. 
this new show, his new apartment to me is ugly. And there's this weird wallpaper and the show in general. And I don't know if it's just the director of photography or the use of HD, but the show has a brown tint to it. It's like everything about the show just feels a little brown. And you would say, okay, we have to make Frazier's apartment as spectacular in its way as the old one was. And this one is not that. Okay, now we get to the writing of the show. And here's where I think the big problem lies. There was a grooming process. And it began in 1970 with the Mary Tyler Moore Show, James L. Brooks, and Alan Burns. They established a level of comedy and a framework for how you do that show. And they groomed writers along the way, namely David Lloyd. And then when they moved on to Taxi, they developed Glenn Charles and Les Charles. Glenn and Les went on to create and run Cheers. We learned from Glenn and Les. Peter Casey, David Lee, David Angel, Sherry and Bill Steinkellner, Thief Sutton, Tom Anderson, Dan O'Shannon. There's a lot of writers were groomed on Cheers. And then Peter Casey, David Lee, and David Angel create Frasier. And along the way, they develop Christopher Lloyd, Joe Keenan, Ann Flett, and Chuck Ramberg, and other writers along the way. So this is a grooming process that was very, very instrumental in maintaining the level and the tone of the comedy. And that ended when Frasier ended in, I guess, 2000 and whatever. But even when Casey Lee and Angel began Frasier, they had David Isaacs and I and David Lloyd who had written the Frasier character before. So there were five long-time Cheers writers who knew how to write that character. And with all of us as a base, they then developed new talent. And usually it would take a writer a couple of scripts to really lock in and get the hang of it. Here's the thing. If you go back and check out all of the episodes 
both Shears and Frazier. There's a number of writers, young and old, who didn't last, who didn't get it, who didn't latch on to the tone and the standard of the comedy. And they lasted a half a season or maybe one season or a season and a half, and they were gone. Not everybody can do it. And so when somebody who has been groomed is ready, then they can sort of make that jump. There's nobody on the new staff that has really written the show before. There are a couple of writers who I understand have been consultants. And also, from what I understand, uh, their suggestions have not been embraced. <laughs> Let's just say that the new staff wants to go their way. And I'm here to tell you, it's hard to write Frasier even when you've been doing it a long time. I may have told this story, but I'll tell it again because I'm long-winded. We had written episodes of Frasier, and then there was a couple of years where we were not on the show where we did our own series, Almost Perfect, starring Nancy Travis. When that was over, we said, okay, we're happy to go back and write Frasier. We said, can we see a couple of recent episodes so that we're really up to speed as to where you guys are? And by now, the creators, Casey and Lee, had sort of taken a back seat and let the other writers pretty much drive the car. So we're watching some of these episodes, and Frazier's speech was getting more and more ornamented and, and a lot of curlicues and just long-winded. We thought, wow, this is not the Frasier that we're used to. And we kind of had a choice. We could either try to write that Frasier or we could write the Frasier that we were used to all those years. And we decided, you know what, we're just going to write Frasier as we have always heard him in our head. And they can fix it if they want, if it's not right. So we did. We wrote the episode. And we turned it in to Casey and Lee, and we said, we should let you know that you might have to do a little work on this script because, and I explained the reason, that our Frasier is not exactly the Frasier that they're doing now, so they may have to just take a pass and put it into that form. And they went, okay. And apparently the next day they came into the writing room with a stack of scripts 
they Xerox copies of our draft and they handed it out to everybody and they said, this is Frazier. We've drifted away from this. This is Frazier. So even the writers who have been writing the show had a hard time over the years just maintaining the voice of Frazier. And now you have all of these new people. And I have to say, I read an interview by Kelsey earlier today. And Kelsey was saying, and I take issue with with some of this. He was saying, well, you know, the old show took itself very seriously, too, too seriously. And we're not taking ourselves as seriously. And I thought to myself, really? That, that's what we were doing? We had episodes where Niles had a bird stuck on his head. The last episode that David Isaacs and I wrote, uh, he's bare-chested and he's going to hopefully have a wild night with this crazy girl and he takes whipped cream and on his chest draws an arrow to his dick. Really? We're taking ourselves that seriously. I think part of the beauty of the show was that we managed to find that balance between highbrow and lowbrow. And it's not that we were taking ourselves too seriously. I would suggest that, Everybody involved in that series was striving for absolute excellence. And I would not confuse that with taking ourselves too seriously. And he says, you know, there's young writers, you know, we need young writers and be sillier and stuff, which, uh, okay, you can have young writers. That's fine. I was a young writer. You know, I get it, but it's also a little insulting to the old writers. And I go back to our own career, and David and I became the head writers of MASH. We were 26 years old. But we had, as our consultant, who we met with every week, and whose every word we hung on, Gene Reynolds who was one of the creators and was the showrunner of MASH for the first five years. So we had the grooming. We, we did three freelance episodes of MASH before they even hired us on staff. So by the time we were hired originally, they knew we got the show, but still... It's not like they just handed the reins to us and said, go, it's all yours. No, we had Gene to help guide us along. David and I, along the way, were able to interject whatever vision we had of the show and our voice, but it was our voice that, was within the boundaries of what was established as MASH. I don't see that in this this new show. 
again, the writers may argue that, yeah, okay, just, you know, get off my lawn, okay, boomer. But I would say I've written Frasier for 22 years. I probably have a fairly good idea of what makes a good Frasier episode. And to me, the episodes that I've seen feel like Frasier spec scripts. It feels like somebody from the outside trying to imitate what they see as Frasier. And um, that's, uh, again, my opinion. The writers may disagree. But I would say this. If these young showrunners had spent one year working under Peter Casey and David Lee and Joe Keenan and Christopher Lloyd, this new Frasier would be a very different show. And I think it would be better. I'm interested in your thoughts. That's why I have an email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Kelsey says he would love to do more of these. Okay, it's, it's the first year. And there's growing pains. And a lot of shows go through a growth period. It's on-the-job training. And maybe by season two or three, they'll make some adjustments and it'll start to click. And, and I'll watch an episode and I'll go, yeah, okay, yeah, they got it. They got it. And I hope that is the case because, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I want the show to succeed. I want the genre to succeed. So that is Hollywood and Levine for this week, my sagacious opinions. And again, uh, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That's HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, and see my New Yorker cartoons. Again, I wish you a happy holiday season, and we will see you again next week right here on Hollywood and Levine.